Hello and welcome to the Who's Podcast with me, Phil. And me, Paul. And uh, yes, we are back. We are back, everybody. We've we've uh, been but away. Unpopular sli- demand. <laughs> yes, we've been away slightly longer than we actually anticipated. Um, but all our uh, all our holiday stuff sort of all happens without either of us knowing about it, really, or <laughs> each other knowing about it. I should say. So uh, yes, I had trouble getting back over the border. Into- <laughs> <laughs> So we are we are back. We are back for October's uh, podcast. So um, so this um, this month we're going to talk about the horror of Fang Rock, and also it's also a we're paying tribute um, to the sad, sadly dearly departed Terence Dix, um, who passed away since we've been off air. Basically, um, we realised we're probably the last podcast to or Doc Two podcast rather to pay tribute to Terence Dix, but we're. Uh, what did I go through uh, through with it? Nonetheless, anyway, because he was such an important person in in the in the world of Doctor Who. Yes. Yeah. So we'll come to that later. Uh, but first, uh, a little bit of news um, about uh, you know what's been happening since you've been away, and unfortunately, um, we have to start off with the news that David Boyle, the uh, person who sort of owned or created and owns the company Dapol, who released all those uh, Doctor Who figures. Um, sort of back starting in the 1980s, sadly passed away at the age of 71. Um, and I think, again, really, I, I think it's an, another case of you can't really sort of dismiss his importance or Dapol's importance, really, no. um, to the sort of Doctor Who, because um, I think he was the probably one of the few people who was churning out Doctor Who stuff when, when no one else was really interested to be yep. honest, you know, he, he was still like making it up until, or Dapol was still making it up until 2005 when um, the BBC basically took, you know, took the license away from him because obviously they're bringing the show back. Um, in, the, in the kind way the BBC do to people that keep things going for them. Yes, indeed, indeed. I mean, it's also, I mean, Dapol was really started out as a, a model railway. And I've, uh, a company, and I think there's there's been a, quite a few tributes paid uh, to David Boyle on a few of the Hornby websites. But um, yeah, but I mean, you know, he, he got the license. Was it 1988? I think when they started making them, and as I say, he went on to basically to, to 2005, um, still you know making Dapol figures and. I'd say good on him, really, because the yeah. BBC had no bloody interest in Doctor Who at that time, did they? Um, well, do you know, yeah, I mean, I mean, the dates speak for themselves, aren't they? 1988 to 2005, really. Yeah, exactly. It's just absolutely, you know, it, it says it all. It says it all, really. But I mean, you know, there were a few like misfires, you know, the the you know the green canine of the five sided um, TARDIS console, but people lapped it up. You know, these things have become collector's items now, you know. So, um, yeah, I, I think they're, you know, for, for you know, if you're a fan of Doctor or just a collector, or if you're a kid like playing with action figures, um, this was brilliant stuff. Yeah. You know, so, you know, I, I think, again, he's, he's like another one of those people who should, you know, who contributed a lot to the, the legacy of Doctor Who, um, especially in, the, you know, the field of merchandise. And I don't think he should be... Um, be forgotten, and also he ran the um, Doctor Who exhibition um, in Langland from nineteen ninety four to two thousand and three, and then from Blackpool to two thousand and four to two thousand and nine. So um, again, he, he was, he was so, such an important figure in the world of Doctor Who, and um, I think it's quite apt, really, that he's in his funeral. He, he went, um, he was sent off in a TARDIS shaped coffin. Yeah. 
Yes. Which I think was rather apt, actually. So, um, so here's to you, David Boyle. Here's to you, sir. Um, and, yes. and, th- and thank you very much. Thank you very much for sort of keeping the keeping the flame burning when the BBC wouldn't, basically. Yeah. yeah. Very important. So, anyway, let's move on to some uh, other news now. And um, now it's been. I don't know if we mentioned this before, but there was. Um, Mission to the Unknown Reconstruction um, was um, being recreated by the guys at the University of Central Lancashire. I can't remember if we actually mentioned this before. I think yeah, we I did, think, didn't I we? I think we did, yeah, we did. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, basically, this is going to be uh, released on the Doctor Who YouTube channel, the official YouTube channel. Um, I'm looking forward to this, actually, because I've never seen it in any reconstructed... Um, versions or read anything about it. This to me, this would become a, a completely new um, episode for me. Actually, yeah. No, I mean, and it's good. I mean, I'm actually, you did wonder at the time that they did it, and there was, you know, I remember Peter Purvis was quite pleased with it, wasn't he? And was drumming. He up, was, yeah. You know, support for it. Um. And he did, and then it's all gone quiet. And he did sort of think, "Oh, that's a shame." Yeah, because <laughs> you know it, it did seem to have just been disappeared. You know, can you imagine? It's, you know, the the, the 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 CD was quietly placed on a shelf somewhere, and that was that sort of. Thing, well, yeah, it? It, it did sort of make you wonder whether the BBC were going to do their sort of. It's not official licensed BBC, uh, BBC product, therefore you are not allowed to show it, kind of thing. Um, it is. You just do get this sort of image that these sort of things are uh, uh, the BBC equivalent of the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> yeah. So, so who's going to show this to the world? Top men. <laughs> now this is going to be um, up on the, the BBC used, uh, Doctor YouTube channel um, exactly at five fifty p.m. Uh, British Standard Time um, on the uh, British. Is it? Well, actually, yeah, because still we're still on. Uh, it's British summertime. I still British Standard yes. Time. British summertime on the 9th of October. So basically, it's going to be like 54 years to the day. Yes. Well, that sort of makes sense actually, and I'm yeah, yeah. I'm quite. If that's the reason why they've been delaying it, then that's that. that that's fine. Yeah. But yeah. No, I, I, I did sort of worry that. It was never going to see the light of day. Yeah, I did. But I was beginning to wonder, but I'm really pleased this is coming out. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm looking forward to watching it. Actually, yes. so um, maybe when, when we come back in November, um, maybe, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll do a, a quick review of it. Yes, actually, yes, I think we will. I think we will. So just something because uh, obviously, <laughs> as we finish our retrospective of. Uh, of, of, of you know of, of from 2005 to, to date um yeah i think we're um we're, we're struggling for materials we're gonna, we're gonna start forcing peter purvis to act for us <laughs> do you know i don't think we have to force peter purvis to act. i think he's actually look he's been waiting 50 odd years for the chance to do it again actually so here we bring in our new segment where's peter purvis this purvis. week <laughs> Oh dear! So I'm no, looking forward to that. So um, we'll talk about that when we when we return um, in November. Now, uh, Blu-ray news. Now, since we've been away, um, obviously, sort of coming up um, this month, we've got the um, season 23 Blu-ray release. But coming up in December, we have the season 26 
uh, Blu-ray release. Um, yes, the Monday, the twenty-third of December. Just a little bit too late for Christmas. Yeah, unfortunately. That, that seems that seems. Um, I don't know. Slightly off timing. Yes. It does really, so because um, you know you're not going to even you know you can't really you, you're you're risking it if you think oh I'll order that as for a present for somebody, aren't you? And it's going to especially on their track record of how how often they've put delayed stuff after announcing. Yeah, I know. It's exactly. coming out exactly. So, so you know you you are missing that that Christmas gift market with that timing, aren't you? You are. You really are. But uh, but again, it looks like another uh, bumper. Um, Bumper Blu-ray collection. Um, so obviously you've got the the upscaled versions of Battlefield, Ghostlight, The Curse of Fenric, and Survival. Um, and you've got some rare restored extended cuts, and you've got the Curse of Fenric VHS extended version, um, the Curse of Fenric DVD special edition, Battlefield VHS extended version, and the Battlefield DVD special edition. Um, you've got five point one surround sound isolated scores, a new behind the sofa. Um, Feature as well with Sylvester McCoy, Sophie Aldred, uh, plus Janet Fielding, Sarah Sutton, Annika Wills, and uh, Jodie Whittaker era writers Peter or Pete McTie and Joy Wilkinson. Um, you've got uh, a documentary um, on John Nathan Turner, The Making of Curse of Fenric. Uh, you've got In Conversation with Matthew Sweet. Again, he, this time he's chatting to Sophie Aldred. Um, Writer's Room Extras with Ben Aravinich. Aranovich, so I can't pronounce his name right. Uh, uh, Mark Platt, Ian Briggs, Rona Monroe, and Andrew Cartmill discuss their work on season 26. And another feature called Becoming the Destroyer, actor Marek Anton and prosthetics designer Stephen Mansfield uh, talk about the uh, creation of, they say here, one of Doctor Who's best ever monsters, the Destroyer. Um, I think it's one of their. I think it's actually rather good makeup, actually, it is, for it the is. budget so, they had. So I remember, yeah. I think we did this as one of our previous Target book reviews. Mm. And it had been a while since I'd watched it. And I read the, as I do tend to read the Target book first, then re-watch the, the episode. I remember yeah. reading the book and thinking, oh dear, how's that going to look? Because I couldn't quite yeah, remember I know. it. Oh, no. And actually being really impressed and actually not, dis- you know, or at least not disappointed, perhaps, may be the word, <laughs> when I actually watched the the DVD with it and thought, actually, no, that, that works. That's okay. That yeah. stands up now. Still still not too bad. Yeah, it's good. So, um, obviously, that's now available to pre-order um, on Amazon, but also as a companion piece to this, on Saturday the 23rd of November, and I think the tickets are probably already sold out by now, but the BFI South Bank will be screening uh, The Curse of Fenric uh, from this uh, Blu-ray edition, and we're having a Q&A with Sophie Aldred and Andrew Cartmill afterwards as well so uh, i'm pleased to say i i will be representing this podcast um so um yes. maybe i should sort of, sort of give a little report um afterwards as well i'm so, disappointed um, to say i won't be no <laughs> but um unfortunately the, the, the little report of this won't come into our, our december podcast <laughs> well you know if you, you... If you don't know what it's about by then, it's not really going to spoil anything. It's not really, exactly. It's not I, really. I, I, I just wish they'd been in conversation. Matthew Sweet chats to Nicholas Parsons. <laughs> that well, yeah, because he, uh, I think he, I think he's another one that we might lose fairly soon because he's actually sort of missing recordings of uh, just a minute now as well, isn't he? So, right, yeah. So maybe he's. Uh, what is he? Obviously, what ninety-seven, something like that. Yeah, Nicholas Parsons now. Yeah. So I always thought it was rather good, actually, in the Curse of Fenric. 
Yes. Certainly not the um, sort of celebrity special. No, I think as far as sort of some of John Nathan Turner stunt casting goes, yeah, that was one of his better (laughs) his better appointments, I think. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, suited the role anyway. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. So, uh, but anyway, so yes, that's that's all to look forward to. But um, great thing is, since you've been away, there's actually some tat to talk about, Paul. Ah, good. Ah, yeah. So let's go over to Omega's Tat Corner. You pester me with trinkets. Okay. Now, those of you who will be attending this year's New York uh, Comic Con in uh, this month, um, which won't be us. Um, <laughs> surprise, surprise, we won't be going. Uh, there's going to be oh, two. I'm struggling to get to the BFI. <laughs> <laughs> it's a 10 minute train journey. It'd be ironic if you could actually make New York, but not the <laughs> BFI. Um, now, there's going to be two new um, uh, sort of Jodie Whittaker, 13th Doctor uh, vinyl figures um, from Titan to, uh, to purchase there. Um, and it's going to. Basically, it says, based on the Doctor from a first series appearances from in Rosa and Kablam. So uh, you've got one sort of... I don't know why they look diff- so different. You've got one that looks like very fairly cartoonish, and it's a version I've got, but with the jacket on. Um, but it's one without jacket. Um, then you've got one which looks like a shrunken head of Jodie Whittaker on <laughs> on this really stubby little body. Um yeah, so with with jacket on and sonic screwdriver. So um, so apparently they're going to be the limited edition, and both will be available from Titan Booth two one four two on the day. So if you if you so if you're going over to the New York Comic Con, uh, they are there to purchase while they are available. So there you go. Uh, and next up we have um, this is what I've been waiting for, Paul. It's a Tardis laptop bag um, from Lavazi. Um, ah. Uh, yes, um, it's officially licensed by the BBC, and it comes in an eye-catching blue, emblazoned with the Doctor Who logo. Um, now, apparently, this is a. Um, it says it's unisex. Shouldn't that be gender-neutral? Laptop uh, bag now, actually. Yeah, well, I su- yeah, I suspect so. Yes. Yes, I think so. Exactly. So, um, yeah. It, it, to be honest, it doesn't look much like a um, a laptop bag. It looks more like a shoulder bag, if I'm honest. And without coming across as being sexist, a lady's shoulder bag. Shoulder bag. <laughs> to, to, to be, it doesn't look anything like a laptop bag at all. Um, yeah, it says it contains a, it's a, um, a, a soft shell and padded in size with an attachable shoulder strap, which turns the carry-all into a messenger bag. Uh, there's an additional canvas loop on one side, I mean you can attach to it longer luggage handles for easy transportation. Um, the zip features Who insignia, and you'll find the seal of Rassilon uh, um, embroidered on the inside. Um, and it's uh, so the, the padded pockets inside and out, including ones uh, specially made for a 15-inch laptop and a zipped outer compartment to store documents. There you go, and it's exclusive to Lavarsi, who you might remember have done the the uh, they did that uh, fourth Doctor scarf amongst other things. I yeah. think they do the um, seventh Doctor umbrella. Yes, think yeah, thin and 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 the jumpers and and things like that. So um, so that's um, available to order from Lavarsi dot uh, and it's priced at thirty nine pounds ninety nine pence. Which, to be honest, I don't think that's overly. Overly no. expensive, to be honest. That's no. quite reasonable. 
no, if it's if it's if it's if it's a well-made bag, then that's actually a decent price for a laptop. Yes, it bag. is. It is. And looking at the photo of the model with the bag over a sh- over a shoulder, it's quite a, a substantially sized bag, bag. If I'm honest, yes. yeah. I mean, so, actually, yeah, I can yeah. sort of stand that because actually, it's quite a. If you if we if we're not going to be sexist here about what type bag that is, I'd actually think that was, if you are of the female persuasion, yes. um, a quite a good bag for your laptop because it doesn't actually scream laptop. No, it bag. doesn't actually. Um, I was actually thinking, to be honest, it's, it's, it looks from the photo decent decent enough size for um, sort of aircraft carry on luggage. Yeah. Actually, always you can always, it looks big enough always to be like an overnight bag. To be honest with you, yeah. But, but yeah, crikey, we're actually extolling the virtues of some tat rather than actually slagging it off. Yes. <laughs> maybe, maybe come across a bit sexist doing it, but oh well. Oh, I don't know. We all make mistakes, crikey. Give, give, give it, give it, a, give it a, a few more days, and I'll probably think, oh, actually, that's quite nice. I can <laughs> that. Oh dear. Okay, everybody. So that's it for uh, news and uh, tat for uh, for this month. So coming up next, we're going to talk about Terence Dix, a uh, little tribute to him, and also we'll talk about um, the t- his target novelisation of, of his own TV script of the horror of Fang Rock. So for another month, then that was the news. Okay, everybody. So, um, obviously, um, as I said at the, t- at the top of the show, since you've been away, um, obviously the, the biggest breaking news um, was the fact that Terence Dix, one of the most influential people, he says writers of Doctor Who, but I think, you know, there's there's more to him than that, actually. Um, he yeah. sadly died at the age of 84. Um, yeah, I, I don't think we can really underestimate um, just how important he was. And still is, I, I feel. Yes, I mean, I mean, he was our our gateway into Doctor Who, wasn't he? Because we don't really, we we didn't grow up with the the Hartnell or Troughton years. No, we didn't. Um, I mean, we, we we discovered those at a after at a later date. Obviously, there's no mm. no repeats of that sort of thing, and probably the way we. We find out about we actually found out more about Doctor Who than anything was through Terence Dix. Yes, it was. It was. And you just I... look now. You just every throughout from the moment he's been involved in Doctor Who, it has had his stamp on it. Yes, it has. I I I total utter agreement. As, as I say, I've um. I've already sort of prior to us recording. I've already appeared on two other podcasts talking about about Terence Dix, and so you know at the, the, the risk of sort of you know, repeating myself. But just in case you haven't heard those other two podcasts, um, I think really he he between him and Barry Letts, they sort of set the template for what Doctor Who is now. Yeah, really with things like Time Lords, and I know that's a lot of it. Derek Sherwin had a hand in that as well, but. Um, Time Lords, Gallifrey, um, the Master, Altons. Yeah. I mean, all those sort of. Um... You, see, you saw when anyone ever moans about continuity and it not following continuity, or this is not my Doctor. Yeah, I suspect they're 
their 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 image is the the Terence Dix let's template of the Doctor. Yes, and I know I know. And really that's when what we're... they're they're riling against. If whenever yeah, whenever, I think they whenever are. anything yeah. they feel veers from that, that that's that's when you get the. The angry tweets and whatnot. Oh, I know, I, I know, but do, do you know? I, I honestly do think it's all bollocks because no matter how much they say it veers away from it, it's still there. Yeah, that oh, footprint. Oh, that yeah. footprint is always there, and I don't care what anybody says. You know, it, it at the core of it, at the core of Doctor Who, there is still Terence Dix and Barry Letts, and I, you know, and I think that you know. Um, you know, we we lost, we lost um, sort of Barry Letts, you know, a few years ago, um, and it was, you know, it's inevitable these people are going to go. But I think Terence Dix has probably hit me harder than anyone else, really, because I I grew up with Terence Dix. I, you know, sort of, um, I kind of like you said, the Tom Baker era was more to do with um, Philip Hinchcliffe and Robert Holmes, but. It was Barry Letts and, and predominantly Terence Dix who introduced the Fourth Doctor. Yeah, I, I mean that that wasn't that wasn't any way meant to be a criticism of of anywhere that Doctor Who has gone or been seen. Oh no! But just no. just when I say that, just such was the strong influence that they had and yeah. the vision actually that actually their Doctor and their view of how Doctor Who should be mm. still stands. Strong today, yeah. Um, when perhaps views, ideas of what other, uh, I was gonna say action figures or whatever mm. from 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 the seventies would, would don't stand up, would be ridiculed. Yes, actually, what they said Doctor Who stood for is pretty still much what you'd want it to be. Yes, it is. That's that's why that's why I was sort of saying you know the people saying you know doctors veered away from from that and it 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 hasn't it really hasn't it's still no. there yeah you know at its heart it's still there um, and you, you you've got to thank the likes of, of you know of, of, of Terence Dix really because I mean okay you know when he was script editor um, sort of during Pertwee's era okay there were a few like you know clunkers in there occasionally, but there is in every series, you know, but you think about some of the absolute bloody stone cold classics. Yeah. That he oversaw yeah, between him and, and Barry Letts really oversaw um, in that. But, um, but obviously, I mean, Terence Dix, he started in, in 1968, um, you know, under, under Patrick Troughton's era. And, you know, he, he rewrote most of the seas of death, which is a, um, a fantastic base under siege story. Yeah, you know, which again you sort of you kind of associate with with Troughton really, don't you? Based under siege, um, and then he sort of wrote out the, with the war games. You know, you know, so he always sort of rode to the he sort of rode to the rescue quite a bit back, back then, I, Terence well, Dix, because you know that they a script always falls through, and Terence would, would knock something out, and he knocked out the what the ten part, you know, story, the war games. I mean, it's, yeah, it's amazing. Well, I mean to. To that extent, I mean, yeah, basically because it was just a case of if you really needed somebody to to actually come up with the goods in a short amount of time, he was the best at it. Yeah, I think and so. It, and looking back now, you can't turn around and actually look at his scripts and say, "Oh, well, that was obviously 
done at short notice or whatever. I mean, that's mm. the standard he set himself. Yeah. Let alone anybody else. Um, there is there is a way the, the thing just just the light throwaway bit of this. Um, yeah. That obviously he was good friends with Malcolm Hulk, which is why. Which is how he got into it in the first place. Yeah. And it sort of does leave you thinking, so it doesn't matter how good you are at something, it still helps to have friends in the right place. <laughs> which is that thing, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Yeah. Yeah. And this is somebody who, who really didn't need any help to... Should, shouldn't have needed any help to get where he was. No, he shouldn't have done But, but it really. is just something, you know, you sort of think, well, you know, had he not known him and had this, you know, opportunity not come, then... You never know. I've actually seen the episode of the Avengers, a couple of episodes of the Avengers they co-wrote. Oh, right, okay. And that's quite good. It's quite interesting to watch that. I mean, and totally, actually watched them and wouldn't have thought necessarily, didn't realise it was the episodes, um, one of them, one of the episodes that they wrote. Yeah. Until actually at the end when it came up written by, and then he's like, oh, right, okay. <laughs> Oh dear. yeah, it's it's, it's amazing because I think I didn't realize you wrote for Space Nineteen Ninety Nine as well. Yeah, I mean it's, it, it it is. I mean we 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 are to a certain extent very much um, cocooned in our own little yes little we world, are we are yeah. And I have to say, I mean if you if you asked me to name ten books by Terence Dix. Not about Doctor Who out of the many that he's written. Mm. I'd struggle. Yeah, so, same there. Same but here. that's not a reflection on him, but more on me, I think. Probably. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, I mean, obviously, I mean, he, he wasn't just a script editor. I think after after he sort of stopped doing that, he wrote quite a few stories. Um, sort of post um, his script editing career for Doctor. I mean, he wrote the Brain of Morbius. Um, Horror Fang Rock, which we'll come on to later. Um, State of Decay, and also the Five Doctors. I mean, I mean, again, he rode to the rescue with the Five Doctors because yeah. Robert Holmes thought it was, you know, he thought it was impossible. Um, yeah, the Five Doctors. It's a fairly sort of simple story, but I think for an anniversary story, that's what you want. Yeah, you, you, you just want you want to trip down memory lane, don't you? And yeah. which is what you kind of get. You, you want know. as many people from from the past in it as possible. Yeah. And you want it just to sort of flow along. Yeah, and it does. I I I, I like the five doctors. Yeah, yeah I do as well. I think you know, it, yeah. um, I think the I know the brain of Morbius has got a bit of a troubled, um, troubled history for for Terence Dix because he he didn't like the script changes that Robert Holmes made, so he just wanted some bland name. He didn't want his name yeah. associated to it, so it was it, the script's credited to Robin Bland. Um, it it is quite interesting though that he took that. That view of the script editor changing his, yeah, I know that is that for is somebody quite... who who probably was was quite ruthless in in doing that to other people's work, yeah, and self self confessed was quite ruthless that he'd make he'd make suggestions he'd get the second draft and if he still didn't like the second draft then he'd basically rewrite it himself yeah exactly yeah so I did I did find that quite interesting that. You know, obviously, when the boot was on the other foot, he didn't like it. <laughs> well, was it wasn't his original story to do with more to do with robots, wasn't it? Yeah. Rather than the, you know the, the you know the more direct sort of Frankenstein riff yeah. that Brandon Morbius has. Um, but 
I mean, it's still a stone cold classic story. Yeah, Brandon Morbius, it really is. Uh, Oz it is rather. Um, and then, of course, we've got State of Decay, um, which he wrote for Tom Baker's last season. Um, again, I, I, I still quite like that story. Yeah, actually, the whole vampire thing. Um, it's still sort of very sort of. Gothic. I know it's not sort of. I think under Philip Hinchcliffe, had it gone because I think wasn't it originally meant to be during that era? Um, well, but then it, what, it, the, it, the BBC it's actually, was doing their own version of Dracula, weren't it's they? It's actually what the horror of Fang Rock replaced. That's right. As a late replacement. Yes, absolutely right. Yes. Um, which again comes back to um, the question of so you with his stuff. You don't necessarily know what's a late replacement because no. That's not a spoiler for my review. For our no, review later. No, that, no, it's not. No, we'll, we'll come on to that later. But, but um, yeah, 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 certainly, yeah, because they was doing, they was doing an adaptation of Dracula, weren't they? And they thought that suddenly this might look as if they was overdoing the vampire thing. Yeah, exactly. It was the Louis Jordan Dracula, wasn't it? Which actually is very, very good. It's probably the, one of the closest adaptations I've, you know, compared to the book that I've, that I've seen. To be honest. Yeah. This, I, I really do like it, um, but yeah. Well, let's, let's not forget um, before we get on to you know what we're really here to talk about. Um, you know, he also did the, those two Doc Two plays, uh, the the, the um, Seven Keys to Doomsday and the, and the Ultimate Adventure. Yeah, as well. So no, he's, he's always written for 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 Doctor Who. Um, you know, so it's um, it's obviously something he, he always enjoyed doing, but obviously. The thing for us, and the thing that I think what, what makes Terence Dick so important to a certain generation um, of people is his target novelizations. Yes, um, because I, 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 I've said this before on, on other po- you know, these other two podcasts I've done, paying tribute to him. But um, I think if it wasn't for him, I probably wouldn't have gone back to my local library. Well, this is actually my thoughts on this. My, my thing to say on this was basically, I think my fondness for libraries <laughs> can be traced back to Terence Dix. Yes, yeah. Because when I was little, they were somewhere where you went and you got magical stuff. Hmm. Oh yeah, exactly. And that, um, that's not, and let's not forget these these were sort of our our generation's DVDs and yeah. VHSs. This was the only way we could get access to, to to old Doctor Who stories. Yeah, totally. Even ones, I mean, even ones that only been on the telly like two or three years previously. For crying out loud. Yeah, they're, they're, I don't know whether you know anyone younger than our generation just doesn't you know that you can't buy everything on DVD. You just can't watch anything you want to mm. when you want to. I yeah. Mean, there is, yeah. There, there's, 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 there's target books to which I've read. I know the book. I knew the book, and it's only in the last ten years, you know, that you've actually really become familiar with the episodes. Yeah. Um, pro- yeah, probably I know. Not, pro- probably actually, sorry, earlier than that. Pro- probably when UK Gold or Play or whatever they were at that yeah. stage started showing them on a Sunday morning. That was the first time I'd seen these. These, these were just books to me. You know, this this is like oh that they've actually they've actually made a made a show out of that book. Yeah, know? I know, I know. It's like um, I mean, can you remember the first Terence Dix target novel you, you you borrowed from the library? 
I still can. Because mine was Terror of the Autons. Right. Oh, I don't know if I can. And do, do you know, when I, when I saw that, because I, I, I think I saw the televised version when you lent me your recordings from UK Gold. Yeah. That was the first time I saw it. And I, I seem to remember watching the... Um, the the you know the 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 te- the TV version and what a massive disappointment it was to me compared to the novel. You Can know, we just so- say at this point that if Simon Bates comes in talking about piracy, there was no money transaction <laughs> involved. <laughs> I forgot about those. I'm crying. That that dates us as well, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm sorry, but I, I, I did not single-handedly kill the cinema. I did, can I just put that? Why did they pick Simon Bates out of all the people? Why Simon Bates? I don't know. Anyway, we digress. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. I, that, that was. I mean, but they were. They were just magical stories. Yeah. Of stuff. Um, you know, it, it isn't so hard to believe that... My my whole interest in reading is is can be linked back to him as well. Yeah, amongst you know probably two or three other authors of my childhood, but certainly one of the major ones. Oh yeah, definitely. definitely. I suspect that yeah. is that is the same for for people of our age. I think a lot of people are sort of like you know when it, the news was announced that he you know he passed away that um, they were sort of basically thanking him for you know getting into reading or going to their library yeah. or you know and it it, it seems to be a, a, a familiar pattern across a certain generation of people um, and it, and it's all down to him you know it's it's it's, it's amazing absolutely amazing I think it's and I think that was the probably the the best tribute. To, to pay to him, really, is the amount of people he got into reading books. Yeah. You know, it's it's um it's it's, it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um, I mean, yeah, because there, there's some people that people say, oh, I, 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 I wanted to be a writer because of this person. Yeah. And there's been quite a few, obviously, that have said that about Terence Dix and probably most of the people that have written for Doctor Who in the last 40 years are probably of that. Yeah, exactly. That thing. Yeah. But yeah, but to actually be somebody that actually this is the reason I wanted to read books. Mm. Is 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 probably about as good as you can hope for as a writer, and I thought. I th- I think so. I think so. Well, it would if I was meant want to be a writer anyway. So. Yeah. But uh but obviously, um we we sort of thought to sort of pay tribute because we this would have been our target novel um Month episode, anyway, yeah. Episode, yeah. Um, and originally we were, we were going to cover um, Ark of Infinity, which Terence Dix novelised. Yes. Um, but then you, you had you had the sort of the the, the master stroke. So well, well, let's do horror well, of Fang I, Rock I, instead. I, I, I just thought that having we were going to end. We were obviously going to talk about you know how much he influenced us, yeah, and whatever, and how much we enjoyed his books. To then do Ark of Infinity. Did seem to be selling him short, really. You know, as if it, from a point of view of, it's not his story. He's just he is just uh, novelising it. Yeah. And if you're actually going to talk about him as a writer and as a that, then at least, then we really should be talking about one of his own stories. 
We should do. And, you know, also a classic one as well. Because yes. um, Horror Fang Rock is a classic story, in, in my in my opinion. It's one of the ones that um, stood out for me as, as, a, as a child. Yeah. yeah it, it was that, that whole setting on the lighthouse. And it was dark and foggy and everything. Um, such an atmospheric story. So to read this... Um, it just, you know, I read this before I watched it again, um, and it just brought it all back. I, it yeah. was, it, it, I think the horror of Fang Rock, that this novelization is an absolute cracking read. I really yes. do. Um, it doesn't differ that much from the from the the TV version, and to be honest, I I don't think in this case it has to. No, because because it is such a self contained, almost sort of claustrophobic story. Yeah. Then it doesn't need. There's no need for for massive wide descriptive uh, remarks about you know the settings and all that because once you've you've said where you are, yeah, that's it really. It then just becomes down to to how talks you can make the language and whatever. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, I think you know it, it's. I don't know. Sort of, sort of put it really. It just sort of he, he does that thing again that he does in a lot of a lot of his books when he's. I think when he's got the time to when he had the time to do it, um, was just adding in little bits just to just to sort of give a bit more background to characters or, or a bit more background to the situation. Yeah. Um, at, at hand as well, and and he, he does this with with the with the Rutan, um, in this as well, sort of like when he mentions it, 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 when it talks, it talks in like the we. It, it took, you know, and it, it says, but it gives a little bit of background about it. it's like a, um, like a hive mind kind of thing. Yeah, you know, so which, which wasn't there in the um, in the TV version at all. Um, but I think it also swaps around a couple of characters, which makes a bit more sense than it does on the TV as well, because the. Um, the, the the character of Colonel, what's his name? Colonel Skinsale. Yeah, is played by Alan Rowe, um, in the um, in the TV's uh, version, and you have got Sean Caff uh, Sean Caffrey playing Lord, uh, Lord Palmerdale. But in the book, Lord Palmerdale is older than Colonel Skinsale. Yeah, but it, it, and and it, and I think in the book it makes more sense that you've you've got this sort of puffed up. Lord stroke politician, really. Um, it, it just seemed to suit it better, where the colonel's a bit bit more younger, um, and you can you, you can imagine sort of you know sort of assisting the doctor in the end. You know, um, I think that works better. Um, yeah. I, and I also think he makes the character of Adelaide a little bit more sympathetic in the book as well. Yes, she is. Incredibly <laughs> unhelpful. It is 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 one of the one of the the uh, actual moments where you think, yeah, that's about right. Was when Leela slaps her, which is it's the oh, not again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's um yeah she um <laughs> I seem to recall that she screams a lot more in the book actually Adelaide, but but the but the TV version she's a lot more um. I can, I can sort of um sort of try to think the right word for it. Um she she's sort of she's a lot more aristocratic 
than she is in the book. She sort of looks down her nose a lot more. She's a bit more haughty and highly strung. Um, yeah, yeah. In in the book, she is basically his PA. Yeah. On the t- on the TV, you'd, you'd think she was his daughter. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I I think the character works a, a lot better. Um, in, in in the book, actually, I mean, to be to be honest, what I was going to say about this story, actually, as a, I mean, oh, did you have you watched the on the DVD sort of just going mm. away from this the uh, interview with Paddy Russell? Yes, I did. Yeah, and she's saying, you know, she, saying that um, Tom Baker didn't like this, and she didn't particularly like this story. No, and I sort of can see probably why from her point of view. There's not really a lot of action you can do. No. You're just really pointing a camera at a room all the time. Just different yeah. rooms. Uh, and one of the things when you when you read the book and then actually watch the episode as well, you realise actually how little the Doctor does. How, how not my, the main character the Doctor is in this until right at the end. Well, this this is why I I, I like this story actually because it, it it is a base under siege story. Yeah, at, at it, I mean the it. interesting characters are Palmerdale and Skinsale. Exactly. Now, the, the, but that's what I like about it because they sort of join sort of halfway through the story. Yeah, I mean so you've had you, the, th- you've you, had you the, think you've, you've got your setup, but then you yeah. had some extra characters in there. You've got the three you know, three lighthouse keepers, and they're the main characters. Yeah. And then they're pushed out, either either bumped off or pushed out to the to the sidelines. Mm. And then you've got these three new characters that come in. Yeah, uh, the main characters. So I think as you talked about the, the the three characters on on the lighthouse, I think the um, the relationship between Ben and Reuben in the book works a lot better as well. With, with with the whole thing about Ruben likes the old fashioned oil powered well, lighthouses. There's, there's, and, and, there's just and more li- to it, isn't it? There's there that, is, that, yeah. That build up to it. I mean, actually, I mean, the, 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 in the book, it's actually how late that the Doctor comes in. Mm. Oh, yeah, it's, it's think, very very think, late. I don't think Palmer and Skinsale came in until halfway through the book. No. Which they're in it almost from the end of the first episode, aren't they? Isn't isn't the ship crashing the end of the first um, episode, which which actually seemed really quick from after just did. read the book. I can't remember if it was the first episode or the end of the second episode. Yeah, I think you might be right. Actually, I might, it was the end of the first episode, but yeah, yeah. So, no, which, which I, seemed I, after reading the book seemed to be staggeringly early for them to be coming in, and I yeah. can't quite work out why that <laughs> seemed to be the case. No, uh, I, 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 but I, I think it, it works. As I say, it, it, it's one of those occasions again where I think the the, the book was, was superior um, to, to the TV um, version. Yeah, but the TV version is a fantastic story in itself, anyway. Yes, you know, and, and to improve upon it, um, and obviously, obviously, because he wrote the the TV script and he's novelised it as well. So obviously, it's his story. He probably knows. Well, this had to be cut out, possibly for you know for running time reasons or whatever. And he was able to sort of bring it back into the book again, where that doesn't matter. Yeah. Running times, you know. Um, but at the same time, he still made it accessible. 
for people of all ages to read it. Yeah. And I've got a funny thing. I probably did read this one when I was a, a kid as well, because I think I, I basically read everything. Um, so it's um, it, it was sort of nice coming back to it again after all this time. And I, and I wasn't disappointed. You know, it, it, it was, you know, I think as a... As well as is one of his is one of his I think so, what we've done so far I think it's one of his best novelizations. Yeah, I mean, and it's to to be honest, I mean, there there is also I mean, even though as we say this one was quite a you know was was written in fairly short time. Yeah, um, because of state of decay being pulled, but I mean, he probably still then meant he had. More time because you had the writing of this episode and then the time to write the novelization than he does to do a normal novelization of somebody else's work. Yes, right, yeah. So, you know, there's the, the whole any bits that either, yeah, as you say, that he probably knew, even probably Max knew that wouldn't actually work on TV or would be too long winded for TV. Yeah. He could keep back for, because he knew he'd be writing the. The novelization. Can <laughs> you imagine if you wrote this and then targeted or someone else to novelize it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, th- I think it's. Um, I think you know, it, you you picked a, a, a very good story to um, sort of, you know to, to, to use to pay tribute to him, really. Yeah. Because I think this is this is a, it's it's a it's a, it's classic Terence Dix, really. Hmm. To you know, in, in my opinion, you know, because it. it, it he, as I, you know, as I've already said, he just expands upon the ideas, expands the characters, um, but with, without drastically changing, you know, the story yeah. at all. But yeah, and just, just, just like I say, just, just actually the interesting thing to, to, to not have the Doctor, as there's almost, you know, the Doctor's role in this is almost like he just keeps popping up, putting his head round the corner of the door, you know, saying. Does anybody can anybody do this or can do that or yeah or whatever? It's not really. I mean, Leela does more in this book than she does in, actually than yeah. he does. Yeah. Um. So interesting for Terence Dix to 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 give the Doctor a, a back more of a back seat. But it works though, and it does, and it does, and it's brilliant. I mean, perhaps perhaps it is a case of when he gets the chance to write these things. <laughs> the doctor's a bit old hat to him by now. <laughs> so. Well, that's the thing because I think I think that you know the the when you got the like the shipwrecked um, little Palmer Down Skinsale and Adelaide and Harker um, come into the mix as well. I think that they are very interesting characters because they're all out to you know all out for themselves basically, apart from like yeah. Skinsale right right at the end. Um, but even <coughs> then, it greed gets the better of him. Yeah, you know that. that I mean, that's really, yeah. That's really what kills him. But I mean, Palmerdale is a uh, well. You, you want you want him to see get his comeuppance, really, don't you? Yeah. I mean, when there, there is the great line in this, isn't it? By Skinsale saying, "Some people you worry when the, when you're with them." Yeah. But he, you worry when you can't when you're not. Yeah. Yeah, I thought sure I thought it was a, it's a good it's a, summed up which, the character really well, yeah, actually. Which yeah did did exactly. You know how how he views Palmerdale. I mean, it's like basically, as long as you can see what he's doing, he's, he's the only time he feels safe with him. Yeah. So yeah, and, so and, he's, it, and he's right to feel like that as well. Because yeah, and also like we did with the character of Ruben in the book as well, because in in the um, the book is basically <laughs> he's basically silent. 
Yeah. He doesn't say anything at all in the in in, in the book, which I I actually prefer. Um, but you you still got Colin Douglas doing that that really creepy smile before he kills someone. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I just like the fact that he, he's he's just fairly silent all the way through it in the book, which um, it, it, I think just adds to the to the 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 more creepy nature. He just he just sort of wandering around silent, not talking to anybody, and then all of a sudden he just starts killing people again yeah. without uttering a sound. You know, it's um, yeah, I I really like that. I really do like that. But I think, and, that, yeah. Sorry, go. On. So I'm getting back to the book. One of the things that also the book gives you, sorry, going back to Palmerdale, is you know why he's wet and no one else is. Yes, because he's in such a hurry to get off that. Get off, the, get off that, the, that shit to the, save the, himself, basically. Yeah, yeah. And you also get you get a bit more of the of the regret for what's happened. Not not from him. But so from Harker as to, to the ship. Yes. Oh, definitely. I think and the. I, I think that that. Conf, I think because Harker's written as a bit as a bit more of a rather than what what you see on the on the screen, but a description in the book is is a bit more sort of like a rough, rough and ready seagoing, quite heavy set yeah. kind of guy. Um, he, he's more of a he's more of a as a ship hand in the book, whereas yeah. actually. You could think you could mistake. He's he's you know, he's not that probably first officer on the in the TV. Mm. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, the way he sort of comes uh, sort of comes across in that. But and I, and you can imagine because, yeah, him yeah, sort cause... of squ- squaring up to Palmerdale wanting to give him a good kick in, basically. So because I must admit, yeah, it's been a while since I'd watched this, um, and I haven't read the book when. When Harker first comes in, yeah, in the TV show, thinking, "Oh, that's not what I was expecting." No, no, <laughs> me neither. Being, no, being, me neither. You know, the biggest person in the room, you know. Yeah, precisely. Not, um, <laughs> not an extra from a porn film. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh dear. But no, I, as I say, you know, if if you know, if you want to read a book, if, you know, think, you know, you know. Um, if you've heard a lot about Terence Dix since his passing, and you think you've heard a lot of people talk about his target novelizations, I don't think you could you could do no better really than than you know as if it's your first, but then to to, to pick up the horror of Fang Rock. Yes, really, because it's a, it is a cracking story, very well written, really good characters, um, and it's just a very good example of what Terence Dix did with his novelizations. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, so I, I think you know. I think that's so a well done, Paul, for for picking that story. It, it, it was a real, it was a good classic one. Yeah, it was something it certainly was. that I was. I'm happier coming on and talking about than yeah. talking about Terence Dicks and. Oh dear. So yeah. So that, that so he had no control yeah. over really. Yeah. So, um, but there you go. There you go. I think that's. Um, a very sort of like uh, sort of that's our, our little tribute to, to you know to Terence Dix um, as, as fist as it as it might have might been, be. but yes. uh, yeah, but in our own little way, um, here's to you, sir. Really, yes. here's to you. Okay then, right. So um, when we return in November, I'm assuming we're, we're back to big finish again, aren't we? Yeah, unless they filmed any more of season one. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> while we've been away. While we've been away, exactly. I, yeah, we I, should... I know. I know. Christopher Eccleston's been been in the news a lot. But I don't think there's anything mentioned of that. So I don't think no. so. I don't think so. Um, yeah. So I think we'll. I don't know what what doctor are we supposed to be doing this time. Um. I'm. Yeah, uh, I can't, it's been such a long time since we. And, and as usually, you can tell we're, we're we're as prepared as always. always. Yeah, so uh, yeah, we'll, we'll announce that on our Facebook group and Twitter feed. Yes. So when we come up, but um, but before then, we've got another companion special uh, uh, coming up uh, mid uh, mid this month, uh, which might, brought, might well may be the last companion special uh, for this year, actually. So. Um, but that's coming up before uh, Paul and I return um, in November. So uh, that just about wraps up this episode um, for this month. So until we return, it is goodbye from me, Phil. And goodbye from me, Paul. Goodbye. What I do feel, you know, is that my life has been incredibly lucky. Totally unplanned, you know. I mean, if I, well, if I hadn't uh, rented a room in Max Holt's house, I never got to know Mac, and I would, well, I would certainly have taken much longer to get into television, because he was, as I say, he was like my mentor. If I hadn't got on to Crossroads and met Derek Sherwin, I'd never got on to who. You know, it's all, uh, all luck, pure luck. You were listening to the Who's He podcast. Please visit our website at who's-he-podcast.co.uk. You can also follow us on Twitter at who's underscore he underscore podcast. And please also join the Who's He Podcast Facebook group. The Who's He Podcast is a member of the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance.